May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our first reading is from Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who have who are one of a little, excuse me, her one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Our second reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 47 through 50. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. scurrying around and, and didn't have a place to worship one of our Sundays in November, it's, it felt like such a dislocation and such a, uh, a period of uncertainty for all of us uh, finding our way forward. And, and we were hoping that Thanksgiving might be a, a, a lifeline for us that we could grab and, and pull to us and just claim what that was supposed to all be about so we could kind of get ourselves back onto a, uh, a little more stable of a surface and a, a feeling of a promise of Easter coming. And I think those miracles 
of the faith that come through song and sight and meditation have borne fruit in us, and we find ourselves now this day, the, the day before Christmas Eve, um, with a little bit more spring in our step and, and smile on our face. I'm thankful for that, and I'm, I'm thankful for, for Rachel framing this sermon series in such a perfect way by saying that we were going to unwrap Christmas a word at a time. And I just think that is marvelous. And we've tried to do that. We've tried to look at hope and joy and peace and, and look at how they're brought forward to us through Scripture, through uh, the fullness of the Advent story of Christ's birth, um, and also in the hard-eyed look at our own lives and what we have lived through to have a sense of the deeper meanings of those words for us. And I'm not sure how you feel, but I feel that we have been in a special way nurtured by God over this last month. Today we look at the, the word love and explore um, its meaning in the context of Christmas and the Caneo Valley of 2018. If you think about it, and I have, so I hope you agree with me, that love is mentioned a whole lot of times in Scripture, and particularly in this Christmas story that is ours that we embrace. I think of Mary's love of God and her consequent willingness to bear God's Son. And I mean that in a, in a quite candid way, if you really think about Mary's life and what had happened to her, she had a number of responses to make, and one of which didn't need to be this response. She could have kind of freaked out by what was happening to her and what was being asked of her, and might have in the hashtag MeToo time I said no. Joseph, what about Joseph's love? Think about Joseph being told that this sweet young betrothed of his was pregnant with a far-fetched explanation, we need to say, with all his buddies and the community advising him to dispense with her. What kind of love did Mary have to God? What kind of love did Joseph have to Mary, that is just foundational to our Christmas story. Think of the shepherd's love that led them to see this thing that had come to pass. And think of the, the Magi's love, am I stretching it, that, that set them on their arduous journey to their bended knee. And the Holy Family's love of one another binding them together for the purposes of God through the horrors of what unfolded in Bethlehem to the challenges that must have been a part of their life in Egypt to their coming back. Aliens to their own land, strangers to what was their home. As strong as the themes of hope 
and joy and peace are. The theme of love perhaps is the strongest theme of Christmas in my mind. It's the focus upon God's love for us, the love of God made real in a very particular concrete way that then goes beyond the centuries to our lives today. Our Old Testament passage references this sense of God's caring for us, God's love of God's creation. And we recognize that in these passages, there's, there's talk of law, there's talk of prophets. God is reaching out through the agencies of, of those who are believing in this uh, one God and the sense of being chosen by this one God to be bearers of how to live, how to understand God. There's a sense of God as the caring, loving shepherd that is brought to us from Micah, keeping his people safe, secure, leading them to places of provision, places of nurture. And through the New Testament witness, though we see God, I would say, refocusing this effort of reaching out and loving his children by making it more intimate, by making it more uh, personal and, I guess we would say, more effective. Luke has Mary reaching back into the Old Testament to sing out Hannah's song over her condition, that God is working through her to change all of life and how blessed she is to be a part of that business of God of saving souls. She celebrates this miracle that she is a part of and what she senses it is going to mean to the world. And truly, her son then grown up gives a parable that kind of makes some sense of this for us. It's the parable of the tenants. They are in the vineyard and they don't listen very well to the master's servants. The, the master has sent his servants to the tenants with instructions about things, and, and they abuse his servants. They thrash them. And then the master thinks, well, you know what? I will send my son. I will send my son in the great hope that they will listen to him. And we know the story. This is Jesus talking about himself and foreshadowing his death at the hands of these tenants. It's an act of love on God's part, trying to carry the day. I will send my son. Surely they will listen to him. The prologue of John refers to the Son of God as the eternal Word through whom all was made and all would be made, the Redeemer of us all, the light of the world that will shine in the darkness and the darkness will not be able to extinguish it. 
at that first Christmas, this light of the world that John waxes on so theologically about, well, it was made real, and it was made flesh in the Bethlehem babe. Emmanuel, God with us. And in one of the most popular passages of Scripture, we read, For John, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's an act of love. This is love that we're looking at, that we're talking about between God and us at Christmas time. The incarnation was an act of supreme love on the part of God to us. And try as God might, we people, well, we people were just not getting the message. Before the Bethlehem babe, and don't you wonder sometimes whether we're getting the message now? What message? The message that we are supposed to love one another. That we should love God and love neighbor. That this whole thing, this whole thing's all about love. Supposed to be all about love. A love that we hope in, a love that brings us joy, that gives us peace. So God shared God's self through God's Son. And loving us so much that this Son laid aside in our theological language the draping of divinity and put on himself the nature of humanity. And I think that must have pinched. And he lived out that love to the ultimate degree of sacrificing his life to be true to that love, to show God's love in all its depth, in all its breath, all its grandeur, all its glory. He's remembered as saying, greater love has no one for another than to lay down his life for that other. Such a love, such a love is God's love for God's children. Such a love did God reveal in Christ Jesus. We celebrate this love at Easter with an Easter hymn, and I've asked the choir to help me in my sermon by uh, singing this so I don't just have to speak it out. Would you sing a verse of what wondrous love is this?
wondrous, what wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to lay aside his crown for our souls. We foreshadow that salvation drama that unfolds at Easter through the music of this season of Christmas. And there's, there's one particular carol, I don't know if it's Czech or Polish, I, I forget now, that really speaks to this wondrous love that God is sharing with us. It's called Rockabye, My Dear Little Boy, and I've asked Rebecca to help us with this. This is the kind of love that we're heralding at Christmas. It's the love of Easter, the love that goes the distance. As Paul writes, it's the, it's the love that bears all things, that believes all things, that hopes all things, the love that endures all things, a love that never ends, never leaves us, sustains us, redeems us. This is the rich soil into which we sink our spiritual tap roots for our lives and for our loving. This selfless and noble love of God to us, we seek to, to channel and extend to others. As we gather in worship and sing our carols, as we gather at tables and feast and celebrate, as we gather round trees and share affection, this is the source and this is the end of our loving. Christmas should give us pause and get us to reflect upon this marvelous and life altering love of God, God given to us, how we embrace it, how we let it affect us, how we live it and express it. It's good to contemplate the extent to which we are letting this kind of unselfish love, this kind of sacrificial love, be our inspiration, be our guide for how we're to do our lives. 
You'll recall that Jesus challenges us to find ways to extend this love, this Christmas, this Easter love, to the least of these. He says, upon that hinges our salvation. How we extend this love to our neighbors. How we let it inform how we deal even with our enemies. And boy, isn't that a hard teaching. But it is a direct and clear teaching from Jesus. He cautions us about this because he remarks, you know, even those who are sinful, you know what? They're able to love the people that love them. Even the worst among us can do that. What distinction is that for you then that you can do that? To be really righteous, Jesus says, you need to love those who do not extend love to you. Even them, he says, or perhaps more importantly, specifically them. Because by doing this, you distinguish yourself as my disciple. And actually, then you participate in God's incredible work of saving souls and of changing the world. He came at Christmas. He went through Easter for this kind of stuff. Saving souls, changing the world. Hard to picture many times in human history in which violence and killing has changed the world for the better. Hatred, disparagement. This loving one another, this changing the world through love is God's idea of how this world is to be redeemed that love would actually be more powerful than hate, that good would be more effective than evil. God shared God's self with us to teach us that and to motivate us to embrace and live that. It's a high calling, this love stuff, this being a Christian, It's a high calling to be asked to carry one another. Carrying not only the lovely, but also carrying the disgruntled, the disaffected, the disturbed. Yet you know what? That's what God wants you to do with this love God has shared with you. 
And I think we can. I think we've seen glimpses and signs of that day by day in our lives that ought to convince us of the wisdom of God's ways and the rightness of God's purposes. This is what Christmas love is about. The very real business of saving souls, saving us from ourselves, saving people from themselves. And I think these terrible weeks that we have been through, some parts of which have just been horrific. I think we have seen just how important this love business really is, how crucial it is that we really learn how to love one another and to act lovingly to one another. It can help bind and heal and make a new world, or the lack of it can just break it all apart. A high calling, this Christmas calling of love that is our joy, our hope, and gives us our peace. The world is desperately in need of this kind of love. So be the person that sings of Christmas love and be the person that lives Christmas love. Amen.